Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer, talks with Nick Brind, Fund Manager at Polar Capital, about how the rise and fall of interest rates affect the financial sector and whether we could be entering a new era of persistently high interest rates. Welcome to another edition of our special series of Word on the Street. This is the kind of back to school edition where we're, um, editions I should say, where we are grilling some of the world's most famous fund managers from outside of Barclays, fund managers and investors from outside of Barclays on your behalf to try and give you a bit of a sense of sort of some of the specialisms and skills that exist out there in the market. So this week we've got Nick. Nick, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you all. Much appreciate being here. Good, good, good. And yeah, so I'll just start off quickly, just in terms of what's been going on uh, since we last spoke, which was on Thursday or Friday. So this morning in the UK, it's actually front and centre at the moment because there's been a bit of data on the labour market backdrop. And the message here is that the central bank work of trying to kind of weaken the economy a little bit, and I know that sounds perverse, uh, but they're trying to get inflation under control. Their mission to do so is probably takes a little step forward. So it looks like the unemployment backdrop is weakening a little bit, which is um, good news for the battle against inflation, but obviously not great news for those looking for a job in many ways. But it's a necessary fight would be the argument that the central bankers would make. And that we're still getting slightly conflicting messages from the experts and the central bankers on when that rate rising cycle um, is going to be finished. Are we near the peak? Probably. May there be, you know, one or two more interest rate hikes, potentially. Our suspicion is that we're close to the top. And that seems to be the message we're getting from the leadership of the Monetary Policy uh, Committee. More broadly, uh, probably the big news of this week will be the inflation data coming out tomorrow, I believe. Um, So we'll keep an eye out for that and let you know about it on Thursday. With that quite long preamble, I'm sorry, Nick, Uh, let's start off with you and and, and tell us a bit about your, uh, your your role at uh, Polar Capital, which is one of our you know, treasured part, one of our many treasured partners uh, in terms of how to build our multi-asset class funds and portfolios. Yeah, tell us a little bit about your role and your team and uh, your day job. Yes, certainly. So I'm co-head of the financials team at Polar Capital. We have about $700 million under management invested in both equity and credit. Mm-hmm. It's five of us within the team. And, you know, daily we're there trying to decipher that alphabet soup of acronyms that is the financial sector, (laughs) read the tea leaves and, you know, try and make sense of the world. As you've just alluded to, you're seeing some quite mixed messages at the moment. And and the sector's become much more complex than it was, you know, even 10, 15 years ago. So that takes up a lot of time. A lot more complex from an investor perspective to try and sort of just wade through a lot of the sort of regulatory stuff. Is that kind of the... Uh, yes, absolutely. You've got these, you've got pillar one, pillar two, pillar three, you've got counter cyclical buffers, conservation buffers, you've got tier one ratios. And you know what we've seen happened earlier in the, in the US with mm. uh, some of their regional banks there was there was a hole in some of their balance sheets. It was there in 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 the in, in the open. Yes. And yet the market didn't spot it until very late in the day. Until it and, did. Until yes. it did. Yes. And and that highlights in a sense that the regulatory accounting and background to looking at the sectors is incredibly complex. And sometimes, 
you, you miss the wood for the trees. And, and also, I guess it highlights the rewards to hardcore forensic analysis, that there is a reward for people like you and your team to really go deep and understand the, these businesses in a way that few others do. I guess just starting off, I mean, you know, it, we talked about interest rates in the introduction and we're at an interesting to say the least, point in terms of interest rates around the world. And banks and financials are obviously, you know, in many ways, all about that. So how much do you and your team, how much time do you and your team devote to trying to predict where interest rates at various maturities are heading as a determinant of your investment in banks? Or do you just, you know, more or less ignore that and just accept that quite a lot of it's quite unpredictable and focus on the businesses themselves, the regulatory environment, the stuff that you can actually kind of tangibly look at and yeah understand. i mean it's a it's a great question i mean interest rates are so important to the financial sector i mean a, a quick reminder for, for your listeners banks make most of their money from the difference between what they receive on their you know loans and securities and what they have to pay out to depositors mm. and you've had the last 10 years up until what's happened you know recently those margins well the, the money they make has been squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and everybody's forgotten what a normal interest rate is and the last 18 months we've gone rapidly in reverse so banks and other financials are making much more money as a consequence so for us it's you know it's not just the minutiae where individual interest rates or bond yields are going using that old john maynard Keynes saying it's better to be roughly right than precisely wrong (laughs) and you know then you've got to play a game of three-dimensional chess What does the market believe that interest rates are going? What, what's yes. factored into share prices? So we're trying to juggle all that and at the same time get under the hood of individual banks and insurance companies, et cetera, and, and try and pick the ones we think have the better franchises, the better moats, and, and so forth. Fascinating. And how much of that is down to understanding the personnel who govern those processes do you i mean is there sort of do you look for sort of key person risk do you look for or is there a kind of you know from the central bank no in terms of the actual individual Uh, banks under your coverage so when you're looking at this and i know you spend you'll spend a lot of time kind of meeting the key personnel within a bank how much of it is about those key personnel and the way that you sort of the feeling you get off them and the competence they give versus the kind of process and the institution they sit sit over I guess this could go for any sector. Yeah, I mean, it, it, of... it is important. Governance is such an important issue in, in the financial sector, uh, as we've seen. Mm. And, and, you know, it's, it's led from the top. Sometimes, you know, that, that's key to setting the tone and, and the culture of a, of a bank or an insurance company and how they take risk. And, mm. and as we've seen, sadly, with the events at Credit Suisse, you know, that was something that was you know, missing there over, over many, many years and mm. then came to fruition. So... That, that is important, but shorter term, ultimately, it's the risks that already sat on the balance sheet, whether it's an insurance company underwriting car insurance or property catastrophe insurance or whether it's a, a bank that's done a loan. You've got to understand how much risk they've, you know, they've taken in, in underwriting that particular risk. Yeah, interesting, interesting. And so just, just sort of going on on that, that sort of side of things a bit, you go back to 2007 and 2008 and so yeah. on, all that sort of, you know, the last major global financial crisis and you could say there's been lots of little ones since all over the place but you know when you were looking at the various companies then what were the lessons you took from that period and what were the things that sort of you know the misses and successes that you thought about afterwards were you know worth noting down yeah the, the most shocking thing and we knew it at the time was uh, i remember going into a meeting with a, the cfo of northern rock mm-hmm. 
And I had this product called a Together Mortgage. It lent 125% of the value of your house. And they argued that you were effectively giving an unsecured loan on top and someone might want to do up the kitchen and so forth. And we, 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 we asked and we couldn't understand, you know, the rationale of this. And You surely need house prices to be, to uh, be rising exactly. forever. And, said, and, yes. and he, we all came out of the meeting and looked at each other and go, it just doesn't make sense. And that was, that was I suppose, the tip of the iceberg of you know, yes. really poor underwriting. And today it's vast. I mean, there were big difference today. It's vastly different. You've had mortgage market regulation. You've had buy-to-let regulation. And you yeah. can see this globally. So banks today have lent a much more conservative level of risk. Mm-hmm. So housing markets can correct and banks aren't going to you know, lose their shirt as a consequence. And that makes us much more constructive and confident about the outlook for the sector. Interesting. That's super useful. And what, at the moment, what are the major stories in the space that you would highlight to any kind of investors out there at the moment? What are the sort of interesting things you're looking at without making any specific recommendations? Obviously, I should (laughs) say that. Yes. So I think the the big picture is the first one you touched on, (laughs) interest rates. We've just been through a period of the last 10 10 years of negative or zero interest rates. And that has just squeezed the profitability of the sector. Now, going forward for the next 10 years, we obviously don't know what's going to happen, but are we going to go back to zero or you know, negative interest rates? We don't think so. I mean, if, we, if, if that does happen, that's, a, that's a, a risk for the sector. But if you think interest rates are going to be some level of whatever normal is, then here there's a sector that banks and insurance companies are going to be making much more money than they have for the past 10 years. But everybody's looking at them through the lens of what's just happened and assuming that interest rates are going to go down. You look at the valuations and if they're going back to what they were pre-global financial crisis, making more sensible returns, they're a really interesting investment at the moment. Yeah, it's super interesting because that seems to be happening in a lot of places in the market. I mean, I guess, you know, as investors, fallible behavioral problems we always suffer from. It's always using the recent past to extrapolate into the future. We do so. That might be true of some of the sort of sexier sounding names in the US at the moment. And sort of, you know, certainly, um, yes, it's an interesting way. And actually, it sort of goes to a point that I we regularly harp on about on this podcast, which is that the way we organize if we have a sort of single philosophy about investing, it's a, it's about exactly that, not allowing the recent past to dictate how you organize your assets. We spend a lot of time trying to imagine multiple, hundreds of thousands of different viable futures ahead and finding a mix of assets that positions well in all of those as much as is, that's ever possible. So again, you're preaching to the choir, yeah. I guess. And I, I guess the other point, and this sort of leads on from that, is, you know, as with all kind of focused investors, specialists, you have to accept idea times when your ideas are out of fashion, when they simply, you know, don't chime with the investor fad of the moment. Sometimes, as we know, that can last years. So what disciplines, psychological and otherwise, can you advise to help any specialist investors listening to kind of stay strong and resist the siren call of momentum? And that's rising share prices mm. attracting us all. It's, I mean, that's a really tough one. Yes. You know, it's... it's. You need good management as well, don't you? You need good bosses. You need good... Ma- yeah, you, you need people to have the confidence. You know, you've got to, if you've got to have a process which you believe in, you know, works. Any investment process is going to have periods when it doesn't perform well. And you've got to understand why it doesn't necessarily perform well in those periods. And, you know, I'd say it's it's sticking to your process. If the companies you're investing in are continuing to make progress, that's completely different for something that's, you know, seeing a declining revenues or whatever, or, or has, you know, headwinds. 
and it's having belief in that. Yeah. But it, 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 yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. It? It's difficult. And, you know, we know from history. Tony Dye, as I'm sure you remember, yes. you know, value investor who lost his job in 2000 at the peak of the tech bubble. So it's not without risk. It's not without risks. And, and we could do the football, the Premiership football yeah. analogy. You know, in a way, like what we all need to aspire to is the idea that you don't uh, fire your manager, your team manager, after losing a couple of games. That you have faith in the system. If that's Worthy of faith. Uh, and, absolutely and, agree. You know, you just, uh, you, you, you stick with it. And Alex Ferguson or a similar will result. Yeah. So what, a c- couple of final questions. I mean, what, what are you most worried about in the context of your investment space for the months ahead? What are the things that keep you up at night, if anything? Yeah, I'd say, you know, geopolitical risks aside, you know, your imagination can get carried away with, <laughs> you know, certainly what's happened in the last few years that, you know, wasn't in the forecasted by people. But uh, for our sector, it, it's interest rates is, is the big, probably the biggest driver. So if interest rates were to go back to zero, and then yeah, you, you, you shouldn't be looking at this sector, let's yeah. be honest. You know, those uh, profits will, will go down materially as a, as a consequence uh, over the next few years. But we find that hard to believe with populism, uh, reshoring, etc. Obviously, inflation, the genie's out of the bottle. I think we're in a very different environment, but we've got to be cognizant of that. Yes, good. Okay. And and that, uh, yeah, that makes sense. And I guess, does that answer what you're most excited about also? High interest rates forever? Yeah, I mean, I, you, know, you know, if you've got time, you're, not be, you're not going to be popular with mortgages on this day. <laughs> not hard with mortgage holders, but I mean, the, the really interesting thing, you know, financials fundamentally, it's a cyclical sector. Yes. And where we stand today, it's out of favor. It's been out of favor of probably 11 of the last 12 years. But it's, it's the recovery play. So with banks, you've got people worried about interest rates maybe rolling over, so they're not going to make as much money on that, you know, that margin between loans and deposits. We have a, a much deeper recession than people thinking. There's going to be more loan losses, and, and that's factored into to, to valuations. But you've got insurance companies, reinsurance companies, seeing big jumps in insurance rates at the moment, and they're making a lot of money at the moment. The, the, the income off their investment portfolios has jumped up. You've got payment companies in the universe who benefit, continue to benefit from the shift to cash to card and growth in e-commerce. So it's a really, really interesting sector. And today you can buy it at bargain basement valuation. So we looked at some numbers post the global financial crisis. And today you're buying banks on a P of about eight times. Mm. They've only been below that one day in 10 since the GFC. Relative to wider equity markets, uh, never, they haven't been cheaper for a gain, you know, yeah. for, again, 10%. So you're buying a sector that's cheap in absolute terms, cheap in relative terms, it's out of favor. When, you know, sentiment changes, you know, it should produce really good returns for investors. Interesting, interesting, Nick, thank you so much. And I guess just a reminder to listeners, this is not nor ever could be taken as an invitation to buy banking stocks or any other specific investment recommendation. This is about, we're exploring diversification here and the fact that you need to plan, hopefully for your with your investments, with your savings, for multiple potential paths ahead. One where interest rates are low forever, one where maybe interest rate the interest rate regime is different. So it really, really, it's an important idea that to try and create an all-weather trajectory for your savings as much as possible, you want to try and get the world 
working on your behalf. And part of that might be financials, as an example. And more broadly, I think just a familiar reminder alongside that diversification that at the moment, we're at a particularly uncertain moment for the world and world economy. That's not just geopolitically, but also from a macroeconomic and investing perspective. There are lots in in times like this, lots of commentators will always be out there trying to cut through the noise. It's an old marketing trick using high conviction calls here and there. We would argue quite strongly that the greater the confidence someone predicts the future, the less you should trust them. Right now, I think confidence is a sign of ignorance, not the reverse right now. So just keep that in mind. And otherwise, we shall speak to you very shortly. Thank you for joining us. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.